Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show, Season 2, Episode 137, for May 17th, 2023. TikTok band, Oscar Meyer, Frankmobile, AIAP. I messed that up. But we're doing it live. AIIP, and more news. I won't even fix this in post. The quick rundown for tonight is Wendy's Underground Robot Delivery, AI, IP, and the pre-cooked bacon. Inflation drives consumers to drink at home. Oscar Mayer is being frank about wieners. Could a technocracy end the debt ceiling debate? Steam has a free trial system now. A Texas professor failed half their class. An ancient Mayan board game is discussed. And a game full of mirth and wood. I wonder what we should name it. Battery swapping is getting traction. And TikTok banned by a state, I think, is trying to learn the Constitution. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI. And I don't know if the visualizer is going to work. So give it a shot. Good evening, hometown citizens. Nope. How about now? Let's try that again. Good evening. Oh, my God. It's almost like it's doing it on purpose. How about now? And we're testing the visualizer, and it's still not there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I don't know what to do about that. Because that's going to be a problem. Okay. Well, let's see. Let's keep going. So, uh, the first article for today, that just completely blew my rhythm. So, I'm going to just go on to the first article. And we've got 11 articles for today. The uh, first one is going to be here in the Stock Marketeers channel. Wendy's to pilot an underground robot system to deliver food to cars in seconds. As opposed to driving up. Taking my order. Driving to the next window. Handing it to me in seconds. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what we're expecting now. And now your visualizer is working. Well, anyway, um, yeah, this is, I thought that this would be interesting, so I wanted to talk about it. The, uh, the little snippet here says, uh, Wendy said Wednesday went, wow, that actually broke my brain a little bit. Wendy's said Wednesday that it is partnering with Pipe Dream to pilot a system that will deliver food orders to parking spots in seconds. All right, let's go. Let's just go over to Market Watch. Tommy Kilgore is the author of this. It says the burger chain is partnering with hyper logistics company Pipe Dream to deliver food orders to parking spots. I guess this is like a higher tech version of vacuum tubes. They actually called it. I'm not sure I want my burger to go to their vacuum tube. What's interesting is that they call their company Pipe Dream, and it's like a series of tubes. 
Hmm, interesting. Well, what it looks like to me is an accident waiting to happen as people who are trying to go to Wendy's to get food are going to park into these little parking spots that now have these posts sticking out of the ground. And I, I can count how many accidents in this one little parking lot alone. Maybe they'll be more robust than I Yeah, I but if the first person that hits them takes it out of service, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> Hopefully, it won't impact the rest of them. But if, if the device, if whatever it is that facilitates providing the food can't get to its destination in the first tube, all of the following tubes are going to be jammed up, right? Yeah, I didn't it's, even think about it's that. It's like a series versus parallel. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you who are in the uh, podcast mode and, and not watching the VOD or watching it over on YouTube, basically it shows a parking lot that has, what, five parking slots? And right next to each parking spot is this, I, I don't know how to describe it other than like a turret. It's a turret of some kind where food is conveyed to whoever is parked in that parking spot. But it's underneath, under the ground, there is a big tube that carries said food. And then something says, oh, you're for here. So go up to slot one or slot four or whatever, wherever. Yeah, I just see this thing. I don't know. You know, my other concern with it is think about not at Wendy's, but just in general, you go to a fast food place. How many times is your order wrong? But <laughs> there's usually a person there if you're at the window. So how's that going to work when it gives you a burger, but you ordered a Frosty or whatever? Yeah, you'll have to get out of your car. But that's okay. It's a small price to pay for being able to use a series of tubes. So again, the, the articles by Tommy Kilgore over at marketwatch.com and uh, they go into greater detail. Wendy said pipe dreams, instant pickup system uses an underground autonomous robot system to deliver meals from the kitchen to an outside portal, allowing cu uh, customers who place orders online to receive their orders without leaving their cars. The AI just brought up one particular issue. I brought up several others. <laughs> it says as mobile ordering preferences increase, we're thrilled to be the first quick service restaurant to partner with Pipe Dream, leveraging their unique delivery technology and system with the goal of reinventing digital pickups to bring more Wendy's to more people as quickly and efficiently as possible, said Wendy's. Uh, global chief technology officer matt spessard i do want you to know though that i must be psychologically conditioned because now i want wendy's <laughs> i might actually have to leave hometown to go get wendy's i'll fight the urge so on the news apparently wendy's stock rose 0.2 percent much like probably their profits from deploying a solution like this. But I guess any percentage up is better than 
According to the article, it's edged up 3.9% year to date, while shares of uh, rival McDonald's have rallied 11.5 and shares of Jack in the Box, which is not everywhere, uh, has only gone up 0.29%. Oh, no, 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 sorry. They've soared 39.4%. But the stock has only gone up 0.29%. I think that's up today or whenever the article was written, but overall it's up 39. Yeah, year to date. So what is what is Jack in the Box doing? Um, it had a previous run, uh, but I'm also thinking it probably tanked at some point, so maybe it's coming back. It's recovering. Up, I don't know. Yeah, I actually liked Jack in the Box when I had it. Back in California is the last place that I saw a Jack in the Box. Let's go on to the next article. Hmm. Why does that sound so quiet? Anyway, the, the next article is in the Right Protect channel, and this one is titled Pre-Cooked Bacon, Artificial Intelligence Patents, and a Defense of the Common Law. So the little snippet that's in this article says bacon is delightful and the similarly savory subject of who must be named inventor on a bacon patent was the issue in the recent case of hip incorporated v hormel foods corporation there's a bunch of blah 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 legalese that really is like casting a spell because it's all arcane and you have to draw things on the ground and anyway um Hip claimed that one of its employees materially contributed to the invention of Hormel's patent on methods for pre-cooking bacon, and the question of what makes one an inventor was central to whether Hip's employee should be added to the patent. More broadly, questions about inventorship and authorship have become central to recent commentary and speculation about the impact of artificial intelligence on intellectual property law. While AI did not factor into the HIP v. Hormel uh, lawsuit, the decision provides a useful reminder about the role of the common law in developing answers to these momentous questions. So let's go over to the source, which is ipwatchdog.com, and John Cordani is the author of this. And you... The, the little snippet that I said is basically the first paragraph of this article. And the, but the, the case goes into who is an inventor. But the, I think the law and common law uh, basically stipulates that anybody who materially contributes to the creation of the invention is an inventor. So, what if it's the AI that materially contributed to the invention? And they don't even talk about that in the case, but the case weighs in on who is an inventor. Right? So, they True, applied but the, all the case law, it looks like, is tied to people meeting these criteria. Yeah, but that's because... Up until now, there wasn't anything significant enough about AI to suffice as 
uh, a foundational argument in what constitutes an inventor. So what they say, they applied the Panu test, which I'm not sure. It says it's a test for determining whether a person qualifies as an inventor. Now, I'm not an attorney, and even if I was, I'm not your attorney, so go talk to an attorney. Um, but I'm familiar with the determination of what is an inventor. I've, I just don't regularly refer to it as Panu. Anyway, so... To test the facts of the pre-cooked bacon invention, determining whether Hip's employee, one, contributed to, in some significant manner to the conception of the invention, made a contribution to the claimed invention that is not insignificant in quality when that contribution is measured against the dimension of the full invention, and did more than merely explain to the real inventors well-known concepts and or the current state of the art i.e just because you're a consultant this is number three just because you're a consultant doesn't mean you're an inventor number two is i had an idea that doesn't count <laughs> and number one is you create you were in some way involved with the conception into its fruition not just the idea again so you have to actually have your hands involved in its creation and not just an insignificant part of it. Hey, I think we should make it blue. That doesn't count. So I'm really curious. That doesn't prevent the AI from being an inventor but the statute does because it uses the term individual in the definition okay so unless way. they're going to interpret an individual like we've seen in other instances right like citizens united or something right. um but it also i don't think it defines individual but the common meaning is of course a person Okay. So where? The statute. I looked it up while the article was displayed in 35 USC right. um, 100. It defines inventor as an individual who invented or discovered the subject matter of the invention. There's also some joint invention language, but it just refers to individuals in the plural. Okay, so not in the article. They don't actually say that. Though. No. At least so they not reference individual, but they don't. I don't think they quoted it directly. Okay. So it says, leave inventorship and authorship to the common law. John Locke theorized that a person should own what he hath mixed his labor with and joined to it something that is his own. So basically creating something and putting his work effort into it. There's truth to this insight, but almost all human abstractions will prove inadequate, is what the author of this article says. As the contemporary philosopher Robert Nozick observed, if you mix your can of tomato juice in the ocean, you simply lose your juice. You don't come to own the ocean. Interesting, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not quite sure it's applicable 
If I actually create something and I'm using an AI, I'm I'm utilizing a tool, so I'm not quite sure um, where all of this comes together. I would have to read this article and really digest it because there's a lot of stuff that's being based on other elements. You'd have to read second treaties on government, I think, um, to truly understand what this person is getting at. It says rather we should. The decision. Yeah. Oh, but you didn't read that yet. No. Okay. So rather we should draw a timely lesson from Hip V. Hormel. There, the court found that the contribution of Hip's employee to the bacon invention fell on the tomato juice in the ocean side of the line. The individual justice of the result is apparent from the court's opinion. Similarly, let's allow the courts to consider individual cases about who owns patents and copyrights to which AI contributed. They make a leap and confound two completely disparate ideas because the foundation of this is who is an inventor and who an, who is an individual, right? But who's right, an individual? Right, particularly in an employee context. And they literally contributed nothing to the ocean. They just lost their whatever it is. Their contribution was so insignificant to the mass of the invention that they right. shouldn't. I mean, that was the determination. We haven't read the decision, but yes. Yeah, so, but the, the individual that uses an AI to create something fundamentally patentable would be a different case. <laughs> it would be a completely different case. It's almost like this person, they, they shoehorned in this other case into this concept to try and just eke hey, we need an article on AI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was thinking like clickbait, like, okay, we need AI content. I mean, I agree that's going to be an interesting test, but at least from the article, it doesn't seem to have any real connection to this case. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It really is that somebody put this together. Um, but I wanted to discuss it simply because an inventor is a person they're the one that has the license the actual ownership they can license it to somebody else but why don't well, we then, just go ahead i was gonna say and we just talked about ai and patent when we were talking about another topic like we got into that a little bit yeah but I, and i so i wanted to address it again because this is an ongoing issue but this article doesn't really suffice as foundation discussion, the thing about it, the reason ultimately that I think that this is interesting is that it's being discussed as some type of way of approaching is the AI a person, a thing, like an entity that has you know, rights and, and uh, has to observe the same thing as an individual, but it's not, it's a tool. It should always be taught, uh, thought of as a tool. So therefore, the person that uses the tool is the inventor. If I use a wrench, the wrench does not apply for patent. 
Yeah, but it's interesting because if somebody wanted to use this case to apply it to AI, it wouldn't necessarily support the AI piece for the patentability because of the way this was found, right? Like the employee, even if they basically did nothing, they weren't considered to be a substantial participant, right? So if they're viewed as, for instance, a tool to get the invention done, the AI argument would fall flat based on this. Again, we haven't read the case, but... Right. The, Whereas the, if the employee did support it, would somebody then try to extrapolate this argument toward an AI context? Yeah. The idea, though, and, and therein lies the issue, trying to shoehorn the granting of a patent or IP rights to an AI... I think is a is poorly founded. It it's, it shouldn't even be addressed. It shouldn't be approached. It should be to, it, it, the the process should be if you use the tool to create the work, you are the one that created the work. You know, I, the nobody looks at the canvas and says the canvas has IP rights. Because it's just the object being worked, the paint, the brushes, other people in the room, even if they are the inspiration for something, the model that's being painted, none of them have rights, but the person that's wielding those tools certainly does. Does have rights, right. But in the, when AI comes into play, then those people don't have rights suddenly at least as it's currently set up i think somebody's gonna come forward with some interesting facts and push it and try to get it to go um how much do you think a case like this the definition but i don't know how much do you think a case like this would cost if you wanted to let's say a dc attorney yeah like 14th street attorney I can't even fathom because you'd have very expensive billable rates and then probably very expensive consultants and I mean you'd have to bring in philosophers not want to well right and you'd have to establish your case so firmly because what you wouldn't want to do if you were trying to advocate that AI needs to lead to patentability or copyright or whatever and you did it kind of half-heartedly and you failed you'd actually cement your own (laughs) demise yeah like so you'd have to have like an ironclad case you know like stellar arguments and you know stellar facts and which you don't always have at least one that led to an appeal to a higher court because if you had one that argued no sorry we don't find in your favor and it's so solidly built you have no appeal <laughs> you can try well, right. <laughs> but the court's so you've gonna actually go done worse than not even yeah. bringing it to begin with because yeah. then you have a decision saying so sorry <laughs> yeah and it's very well argued so sorry you know yeah 
I think it's interesting. It it reminds me of the saying that um, how does it go? It's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I like that expression. Um, yeah, it, I had a discussion yesterday um, that involved that statement and uh, I had to repeat it. So I said it then and I'll say it and I said it now. Um, quite interesting. Okay, so let's move on to the next article. Yeah, we could probably do a whole episode on that article. It's pretty interesting. Uh, well, it's... Or excuse it's, me, what it stands for. Maybe not the underlying case. Right here, right? Protect. It's, it's a whole channel that I want to bring um, here to Twitch. So can't do everything, though. So we'll, we'll take baby steps for, I don't know, 10 years. Um, okay, well, the next article is over in the Distillerist channel. Um, I have a bunch of... Um, channels that are about uh, drinking and music and food and stuff like that. Um, this one is like breaks from the sequence of the bean of the brew. This is the, the basically if you're in the, or if you're interested in coffee, then you go to the order of the bean or if you're into beer, then order of the brew of the, the grape is for wine and of the leaf is for tea. But I was going to do one for spirits. Um, but I decided I fell in love with this title, Distillerist. Um, unfortunately, in Omtown, it is illegal to uh, distill your own spirits. Um, even though there are tools out there now to make it drop dead simple, um, the immediate byproduct of distilling um, is uh, an alcohol that can make you go blind and destroy your liver much worse than yeah, methanol. Um, anyway, so the this article is over in the distillerist. Did you want to say something? <laughs> Not anything serious. It's just <laughs> like, oh, that doesn't sound dangerous at all. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, you can cut yourself with a beer bottle, so. Everything can be dangerous given the right circumstances and or the right people. Yeah. Uh, burning yourself or cutting yourself is totally at parity with blinding yourself by imbibing something that you didn't siphon off the top. Anyway, I'm being goofy and, and lighthearted about it, but yeah, I guess it has its foundation in reality. Anyway, um, inflation drives consumers to drink at home. People aren't drinking out, I guess, but uh, beverage e-commerce platform Drizzly has published its fifth annual consumer trend report, which combines sales data derived from Drizzly's proprietary platform with results from a survey of 1,001 legal drinking age adults from across the U.S. The data found rising prices in the on-trade are driving... Uh, nearly one in four consumers to at-home drinking more often in 2023 compared to 2022, which is interesting because 2022 was pandemic. <laughs> so, right. So that number is probably even higher in comparison when you factor that out. Yeah. Uh, this is more so the case with millennials, 33% of which said they plan to drink more at home than in bars this year, and nearly 60% of female respondents said inflation has affected 
how they drink. So I find that really interesting. And every time I have gone into this new place that I've been going to, um, which isn't that many times, but it's been crickets, just crickets. Also, maybe that's bearing out. Yeah, uh, it's anecdotal from my perspective, but and I'm no longer much of a drinker. So anyway, this article is from the spiritsbusiness.com, which focuses on what you might think the alcohol industry. Um, George Collins, sorry, strike that Georgie Collins is the author of this article. Again, it's titled inflation drives consumers to drink at home. So to avoid rising inflation costs, 26% of U.S. consumers are spending more money on beverages to drink at home rather than going out to bars, according to new data. The data found that rising prices have affected millennials the most, 33% of which plan to drink more at home. 60% of women uh, would prefer... Well, it says a female respondent said inflation has affected how they go out to bars and restaurants and the number of drinks that they have there compared to 50% of men. It's kind of interesting. Um, I think that if they were to make, I honestly think that it is nothing more than inflation. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. People are fine with going back to bars. The cost of living is outrageous. The middle class can't afford to go out to entertain themselves. So they well, do and I don't know how much a drink costs in a bar, but when you think of how many drinks you could probably buy at home compared to the price in a bar, it's probably yeah. a no-brainer, particularly if you're trying to cut costs everywhere because everything is costing more. So it's anecdotal uh, because depending on where you are, the prices are higher or lower. Um, Omtown though is right in the middle and it's seven dollars a shot to start for a shot it's seven dollars yeah. i had no idea yeah i mean that that adds up assuming you're having more than one yeah so and you might find lower you might you're definitely gonna find higher um but i'd say somewhere around that seven dollar range then the drinks are somewhere around ten to fifteen dollars um and wow. that's not big city. That's not New York. That's not Los Angeles. It's not San Diego. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so I was going to bring this up. When hosting at home, nearly 47% of those surveyed said that they would supply the drinks while met or with many uh, stocking up on RTDs, ready to drinks. If you haven't heard of RTDs, become familiar with it because you can go into a liquor store wherever you are and find pretty much anything that is RTD or you don't have to is mess that around like, with anything. for instance a pre-mixed margarita or something yeah it's exactly that yep so you just crack it open like you would anything like a beer can except that it's not it's a margarita and all you do if you want to pour it out into a glass the hydro flask by the way just gonna I don't have any relationship with them, but they have ceramic lined drinking vessels that are powder coated on the outside, aluminum or what is the metal? Is it stainless steel? Stainless, I think it's stainless steel. steel. Mm -hmm. So 
So it's stainless steel core. Um, I think it's double walled and a ceramic inner lining so that it's non-reactive. Fell in love with that idea. They even have bottles so you can decant a regular wine bottle into the ceramic lined bottle and uh, keep it in perpetuity because you can screw it on, stick it in the refrigerator. Um, pretty cool idea. Anyway, the uh, it says these behaviors follow trends seen on Drizzly where RTDs saw year-on-year -year share increases in 2022 during seasons outside of spring and summer, including a 41% increase in share in October to December uh, 2022 compared to the same time period in 2021 and 38% between January and March 22 versus 21. So that's why we kept seeing ready to drink articles popping up in Ohm Town. Right. That's, that's the only where... reason I know what ready to drink is because <laughs> of other articles we feature. I mean, I thought I knew what it was. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting. They So the survey respondents said that they plan to host friends and family at home this summer. Backyard barbecues, 46% topped the list, except that all of the data for the last three years has shown that it's getting wildly expensive to hold backyard barbecues. Well, probably because things like eggs for your potato salad cost ridiculous yeah, amounts and life. your salad costs ridiculous amounts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So interesting. Um, there's obviously there's more at the article. Um, so let me throw that into the chat. And those of you who check out the show notes can uh, check that out. Let's go on to the next article. So this next article is over in the Hedge Ideas channel. Um, we talk about business, business transformation, pivoting. Um, the idea is to uh, discuss the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur, um, typically not streaming stuff. Um, anyway, I won't go there. So what's interesting about this is twofold. The Mandela effect is real <laughs> and the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile is changing its name. So Oscar Mayer, for many people, think that, well, many people believe that Oscar Mayer has an E, not an A. Well, apparently it's A. I swear it was an E. My whole life is telling me it was an E. In reality is a lie. But the company is slamming the brakes on its wiener on wheels and rolling out a new meaty ride. That is a sentence Marwat never thought that he would say out loud or even have that thought in his head. Anyway, the iconic Wienermobile is being renamed because there's a new formula coming out for whatever it is that's in hot dogs. <laughs> Oscar Mayer is changing the name of its iconic Wienermobile. This is a article over at entrepreneur.com by Dan Bova. And uh, it's becoming the Frank Mobile. Okay, first of all, this vehicle does actually drive around. Oh, yeah. Because it has been spotted. <laughs> Not oh, yeah. recently, I don't think. But um, So if you've never seen it, 
better look for it soon before it changes the name. Well, it'll still be Oscar Mayer, but y'all have to watch Better Off Dead, a movie called Better Off Dead. Anyway, <laughs> it's, I'm fighting the urge to make the statement. Anyway, the author says, why, why, why? You might ask yourself with hot tears of rage streaming down your face. Oscar Mayer says the new name pays homage to the new uh, hot dog recipe that will be released this summer. The Wienermobile, quote, the Wienermobile is a beloved American icon that has been sparking smiles and driving craveability for our iconic delicious wieners for nearly 100 years. So we're killing it. No, that's not what they say at the end of that said Stephanie Vance, associate brand manager at Oscar Mayer in a press release this summer. It's time to highlight another fan favorite, our delicious 100% beef franks, end quote. <coughs> there, there was something, what was it? Um, was it the pizza pizza? We had a conversation yeah. about this. Yeah, Little Caesars, right? They mm-hmm. canned the phrase pizza pizza and it was this big risk by a a marketing company um trying to change the perspective or the view right that the customers had of little caesars and lo and behold the company tanks because they got rid of that because it was so easy and so the moment you say pizza pizza you think little caesars the moment right. you say, I mean, it's very effective marketing, I think, to the have moment, the phrase. Yeah, uh, because it, it immediately provokes, I want pizza. Right? You may be a pizza snob, but you know pizza pizza. You know it's Little Caesars. And you may even think of the commercials that said pizza pizza. Yeah, and the dude that's... It dressed like a gladiator that every time he says pizza pizza and puts his um what is the it's a pike he yeah. stabs the the pike down on the ground you see the pizza flip up in the air and sit back down on that pike you go pizza pizza i want pizza pizza even if you don't want little caesars you want pizza pizza that's the same thing with the wienermobile when you hear the phrase Oscar Mayer, you think Wienermobile. When you think Wienermobile, you know it's Oscar Mayer. It's the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Now they're going to be... How do I say this? They're going to be neutering the marketability of the Oscar Mayer brand by changing it to Frank Mobile. Frank is the name of a person. Wienermobile is something that you might throw at somebody a shade, but it's still this vehicle and that brand. Frank Mobile, I'm sorry. It just doesn't, it's not going to drive customers to Oscar Mayer. Well, right. And if people see it, are they going to be like, oh, that's the Frank Mobile? Or are they going to say that's the Wiener Mobile? They're going to say, and Oscar Mayer's iconic vehicle first rolled into existence in 1936. And there are currently six different Wiener, er, uh, we mean Frank mobiles in the fleet crisscrossing the nation. If you'd like to see one in person, you can actually track the nearest one using an online tracker. Well, I didn't know that was 
available. I thought you just had to stumble across it. Well, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Well, anyway, I think that this is a bad move. But it may be lost to history as people are just buying hot dogs and they're buying Oscar Mayer, whatever it is, hot dog, Franks, kielbasa. Well, and if you're not, I mean, if you're in younger generations, do you even really know what this is? I don't know. Yes, it's been around since 1936. Look, for nearly 100 years, this thing's been around for nearly 100 years. You know, maybe they should have um, not done anything with it until 2036. <laughs> so it could make it a full 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe they should have made a Frank mobile and not touched the Wiener mobiles. There you go. That would have been a better move. Have both. Right? And then you could pay homage to both. Ah, oh, man, it's just iconic. This is goofy. Anyway, I think I'm uh, a little bit too invested in this. Let's move on. Do you have tears of rage? Uh, tears <laughs> of burning rage. Yes. Hot enough to cook a kielbasa. The next article is over in the Marvel channel. How a fully automated government could end the debt ceiling debate. Hey, I know what we should do. We should actually tax everybody at the rate that's appropriate and not sit there and allow manipulations of uh, various entities with great wealth have the ability to almost zero their tax burden. Maybe then there wouldn't be a debt ceiling issue. Anyway, we must come up with a way to reduce the budget deficit in the next few months or the U.S. will lead the world into another financial Armageddon. As the Biden administration entrenches proposals to increase taxes on the wealthy and corporations and House Republicans are fixated primarily on gutting essential programs, we must remember that there is a free, if not simple, fix to our solutions. According to that author, we'll talk about, well, I'll name the author here when we get there. But it's just not time yet. So what they say is the Democrats and Republicans can overcome their standoff over the debt ceiling by following the lead of other innovative nations in creating a digital republic. Automating government services does just what the Republicans are asking for. Except that here in the States, we know what something is worth and we calculate that benefit that if the government does anything, the proposals that come from the public are not free and open competition. It's just not that clean. The way that it works is requests for proposals go out. People propose it. There's bids. The range is set. It's limited. You have to worry about past performance. The government isn't going to take a risk on us on a new startup. You know, one that's really gunning to get a, a gig unless there is copious amounts of evidence to support taking that risk on a newcomer. So past performance plays a massive role. The amount plays a massive role. The benefit is the end game bang for buck essentially so automating means going out and finding companies 
that will produce for the government what they would produce for the business to business or business to consumer end. And that's not what the government gets. The government gets basically a spec sheet that says, this is what we'll do. There's no real framework that's provided to the government. It's just a bunch of words that says, this is what we'll do. And then that's what the government gets. Not a single second more, not a single initiative beyond what fills the spec sheet. And it's for an exorbitant price because the people who are providing the service know full well how deep the government pockets are. And unfortunately, in my experience, I don't see contract officers or specialists grabbing those businesses and saying, hell no, the government will not, citizens will not pay this price. I think that you need to be a little more competitive. That's just not how it works. The government grabs whatever it is that's being offered to fulfill the obligation because that's what sets the, the that's what's within the proposals, the range, the competition. Anyway, Peter Munig is an opinion contributor over at the Hill. Before we even get into this paper, um, I, I had to say all of that because there's a huge misperception about government contracting. And this is this argument that they're having is really predicated on the idea that there's going to be some type of government contracting that's going to fulfill this digital shift to automate government processes. That's well, already in place in many regards, but it's hobbled because the way that government contracting works, they, somebody that provides a service, they can't go beyond what's in the spec. It's not even allowed. Hey, that feature that you added, that violates our spec. You need to pull it. You'd have to get a modification to what was offered. And nobody's going to jump through the flaming hoop to lower their billable hours. They're just going to offer what is requested. But this is all built around the idea of lowering some bill. But the moment you automate, you pull people, you pull the humanity out of government and government isn't some, again, I, I say this time and time again, government is not some disembodied entity that'll just take care of the humans. Government is humans. So it needs to keep its humanity. It can't be full automation. It needs some humanity to look at the, to offer fidelity, something holistic that sees everything beyond just zeros and ones. Anyway, so what do you see I'd in this article? To see. Well, I was looking that Estonia is mentioned in here and yeah. apparently they do this, but I'd like to know how that's worked out, how the costs have been, etc. Um, I don't really know much about this idea. Um, but I agree. I mean, it's all in the details, right? If you pay a gazillion, I'll, well, you don't just buy it, right? You're going to have to upkeep. And so it's like any other um, 
software, et cetera. Like, is the government going to own it? Or are they going to keep paying somebody to to do something with it, et cetera? Um, so, is it going to be cheaper than having people run some of these things? Probably. Um, but that doesn't mean it's better, right? It's not all about cost. So, I also read something outside of hometown um, where it was talking about other countries that don't have this problem because they've either set the debt ceiling so ridiculously high that it's not a constant issue right. or they've set it to a percentage of, um, I think it was tied to GDP, but the point was it wasn't a fixed number. It was right. a fixed percentage. And so they just don't run into these issues. Like we've kind of hamstrung ourselves from what I understand. Yeah. So to answer the question about Estonia, I've heard this before. This is this has come up before and Estonia is used in other places as well. Not just this particular issue, but they have like a control. They have a real control on like border um, processes and stuff like that. And in this, they're saying Estonia, nearly every service the government offers from uh, health insurance to welfare can be done from home without ever needing to interface with a human. There's 1.3 million people. I was going to say, I don't think the population is probably remotely comparable. I didn't know what the population was, though. So a scalable solution that can cover a massive amount of territory is very expensive in the United States. There's a lot of dead air between one coast and the other. There's also 350 million people with uh, ever increasing balkanization of state policy and procedure. So government isn't even embraced the same way. You can go from one state to another and what's sitting in your car could compromise your freedom <laughs> uh, because you have marijuana in your car in the next state over, it's not allowed. And so you can end up in jail. Um, but that's, for me, that's the reason why Estonia could be referenced here. Why? Because the entire population of Estonia is barely a, a blip on the, the metrics of a website. You know, of course, everybody can utilize it, particularly if they actually used a a fully competitive range where they, the government tells the provider of this, the, the proposed service, this is what we want, but we want you to tell us more about what you can do, not just have us hamstring the dynamic here by telling you what we want because hate to break it to you. The people that provide some of these specs are engineers for engineers by engineers they're not worried about user interface user experience they're not looking at the scalability or robustness of the system and when you bring in people from the consumer side or i should say the, the private sector um, to come in and consult i'm sorry you're not getting the full impact of competition here you know 
you can go to other websites that provide superior beyond superior service and then suddenly the developers that would do that great service for a business suddenly start producing stuff for the government and it's hamstrung again because the only mandate the requirement is to meet the spec sheet and they don't get really creative because the spec sheet is the answer to the proposal or the request for proposals the government just sends out a, a document that says hey we're looking for this and then they the government frames it this is what we need it to do and then the only thing you get back is a, basically a wireframe of what the website or service is that's going to be provided and it's never the same as private sector to consumers or business to business always hobbled. I don't see this as being a solution. Once everyone has a single way of logging into the system, they can simply opt into digital services or not. Nearly everyone does, though some elderly and disabled people still require assistance. No. <laughs> Why? Because different states, different people, you don't want everything from the government being bound by one single sign-on because look at what happened with the OPM. It gets hacked and everybody's data is let loose. You have a single sign-on and, and you're looking about total compromise. Why? Again, the government wants a solution, but consumers and private sector have a completely different dynamic. It's very costly to protect this data which means the contract, because the private sector knows full well how deep pockets are, they are going to say, we want a ginormous amount of money. So I'm not wrong about this. <laughs> the AI is just giving me a positive message, but they don't see you. <laughs> I know, they, but they I didn't know. have anything bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so it's an interesting article. It's a good thought exercise. It's a, a good conversation in kind of an academic way. But it says they, they, they kind of throw out various things in here. E even so, the task isn't easy. To form a digital society, a large investment is needed. The federal system of the United States is as big as uh, of a hurdle as battles for real ID driver's license have shown. While a digital society protects privacy in ways that our current system cannot, no. A, a digital society protects privacy. Good luck. You know, that is a long-term persistent monitor needs to be in place. Very expensive folks. The reason why there are corporations out there that are worth a trillion dollars is because they charge for this. <laughs> you know, cybersecurity analysts are uh, clocking in to start at $85,000 and they go up from there. And those that are really skilled are looking at $200,000. So in ways that our current system cannot, 
No, our system wouldn't be able to, even in a digital society, because there's always hackers wanting to get into the system. People will certainly take issue with any digital identity scheme, of course, but it can be done only if you force it. You know, these are mandates. These are requirements by the federal government and screw you if you don't want it. It will get That's done. That's the only reason Real ID worked is because it was required. It was forced into existence, even with blowback from society. But that was really a soft force, too, because it was basically your driver's license is going to have this new feature. Go change your driver's license. Right. And then there was a clock where even if you didn't want to renew your driver's license, it was going to get renewed. <laughs> So I just don't see this, um, but we'll, we'll monitor this and see what happens. It's an interesting uh, discussion, but I don't think it'll go anywhere. Well, Let's hopefully keep... the next time we see articles on this topic, the problem will have been solved, but I know that's a lot of hope given the short amount of time <laughs> regarding yeah. the debt ceiling. Yeah. A couple of weeks, right? Yeah. And the effects are going to hit before that date because the anticipation of it occurring oh right yeah well they start mitigating the they do damage control before the damage actually starts getting hit so right it the almost worsens start it. responding yeah early and yes organizations start shutting down to save their runway uh, services get cut off if it's provided by private sector etc etc yeah yeah hot mess incoming. So this next article is a little more uplifting. Um, I hate to say that we're going to run long tonight, but we are. Um, so maybe I can speed up. This one's really easy. Steam just quietly added a new free trial system. It says it looks like it, uh, Steam has quietly added a new feature, timed free game trials. Well, once upon a time, like a week ago, according to the article, getting a free trial of a game generally meant buying it, trying it, returning it within a two hour window um, or a 14 day window. Uh, it, I think it had, maybe it was seven days. I'm not sure anymore. Uh, I got once, there was one time, and I don't think that I really um, bought and returned many games, but one person who authorized a return said, you're using this to trial games. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, actually the purpose of a return policy if your game if the game sucks but you can't discern that from looking at a video then yeah i guess i am using it as a trial <laughs> that's why you have a return policy right yeah, back in the day sense. back in the day you used to be able to buy the physical media and try it out and if you didn't like it return it but then the software industry said well piracy is going through the roof so now you can't even return it without a restocking fee and that restocking fee increased a little bit by a little bit. And then eventually they just said, you can't do any returns. And then the whole industry shifted on its head to digital distribution entirely. Physical media is now dead and you don't have ownership. You have a perpetual license to consume it. You can't sell it. You can't gift it. You don't own nothing. You own a license. Good luck with that. Anyway, so now apparently if a developer if a publisher wants to release this game in the trial system 
it just tags it as an uh, as an option when it's published to Steam. Joshua Does Wallens, that really make any difference? I mean, is it just easier for the person who purchases or yeah. tries it out? Yeah, you don't like it, return it. Um, and then there's no human involved being snarky about how many returns that you're doing. Well, I'm game for that. And I honestly, it's returning me back, you know, 25 years to a time where it actually had a return policy in stores. And I know because I worked at one of those stores, actually strike that 30 years ago. Anyway, um, starting with Dead Space Remake, it now has a, a, a time frame where you can return it. The trial seems to run alongside Dead Space's current sale, suggesting it'll only be available until May 29th. I don't know if that's actually how it's going to end, uh, but I'm curious, so I may be looking into this more actively uh, because I like trying out games to see if they're worth anything to me, if they're fun. You can't really tell from watching a video all the time, you know, um, like I don't like Red Dead Redemption um, because it was to me, it feels like a console game ported over to PC and has that clunky controller style controls and keyboard and mouse just didn't work. Maybe I just suck at games. I don't know. Anyway, uh, before I get too far into this, let me um, throw this into the chat as well. Sorry about that, folks. There you go. Um, so um, let's see what else is in here. The speedrun record for Dead Space uh, 2023's Dead Space, by the way, is an hour and 44 minutes. So that's basically where the shift is for this article. Um, so let's move on to the next one. Sound good? Sounds good. Um, so this next article is in the Daily News Show. A Texas professor failed more than half of his class after ChatGBT falsely claimed it wrote their papers. That's right. A professor at Texas A&M University went full Florida man. Um, and tried to fail some students, Rolling Stone reported on Tuesday. He said that he used ChatGPT to test whether they'd use the software to write the papers. However, ChatGPT is not designed to detect material that it has previously composed itself. So it's not a plagiarism checker. It actually spews out a lot of bullshit. Um, so a professor, uh, let's see, let's do this so that maybe we can make up a little bit of time for y'all who are listening. Uh, businessinsider.com article Sophia Engel is the author um, the, their little quick rundown is a professor at Texas A&M University tried to fail some students Rolling Stone reported on Tuesday um, he said he used ChatGPT to test whether they'd written um, their papers using the software and ChatGPT isn't designed to detect that so they said uh so so it was just making up answers like, oh, yeah, that person's paper came from Chad GPT. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's kind of what it does. It's basically designed that it will answer with anything if it can. It doesn't go, eh, you know, I'm kind of hemming and hawing about this answer because I don't think that I really know. So I won't say anything. 
unless it's programmed to respond with that type of answer. Because I've asked questions where I've known that it's supposed to respond with a negative, like um, give me legal advice or something like that. Um, and it'll kind of plop out a preformed answer that everyone will get. So it says in an email sent to the class of seniors on Monday, Dr. Jared Mum said that he had submitted three of their last essay assignments into OpenAI's uh, bot ChatGPT to test whether any of the students use the software to write the papers. Uh, quote, I copy and paste your responses in this account and ChatGPT will tell me if the program generated the content. Mum, who teaches agricultural sciences and natural resources, wrote in the email misspelling ChatGPT. But I put everyone's last three assignments through two separate times, and if they both claim ChatGPT, if they were claimed by ChatGPT, you received a zero. As a so result, so it's not even giving consistent answers, but he's relying on it. Right. Yeah. Whichever way the wind blows. Um, as a result, most of the seniors who had already graduated had official diplomas put on hold by the university. Rolling Stone reported, Mum offered the class the chance to redo the assignment to avoid a failing grade. However, ChatGPT was not designed to identify content created by artificial intelligence, including its own. So I'm really curious. Let's go back. Um, however, the professor ignored the emails of people who informed him that that's not how it works. Um, Instead, only replying on their grading software in the remarks, I don't grade AI bullshit. <laughs> this guy, arbitrary and capricious, is, is uh, an understatement. Uh, I would question everything about this guy um, if I was a provost. Uh, Dear Cook also said that one student had been ex exonerated and that mum had apologized to them. Two other students had admitted to using ChatGPT earlier in the semester, which no doubt greatly complicates the situation for those who did not. Yeah. Therein lies the rub. The moment that you do use it, you've compromised your integrity entirely. Um, so it says, in a statement to PC Magazine, Texas A&M confirmed that they were investigating the incident, adding no student failed the class or were barred from graduating as a result of this issue. Um, the professor is working with the students to determine whether AI was used to write their assignments and, if so, at what level. However, the individual students' diplomas will remain on hold until investigations are completed. So they have failed and they are, they haven't graduated because exactly. their diplomas Exactly, and they're suffering the consequences because if they had to produce their grades or their diploma or whatever today, yeah, they it would, would be, be reflective to. of this, even if that's not accurate. Yeah, it all depends on how long this actually ends up taking. So this, I think that this is a shame. I also think that society is not ready for ChatGPT in this in the academic context. You basically have to tell students you can't use ChatGPT, um, and I would argue that most experienced professors would be able to detect ChatGPT written material and at least be able to ask some follow-on questions regarding the content. 
Um, well, the other problem is this is probably some professor taking it upon themselves to do this one thing that nobody else in the school is doing. And so it's kind of like, is this really the school policy? I'm not condoning plagiarizing content. I just, I don't know what this test is based on. Well, in their particular case all they're doing is throwing it into chat gpt and saying is this from chat gpt and you're rolling the dice because <laughs> you have no way to verify and that's my problem trust but verify you know if you sit there and think that all of your students are doing hinky stuff you've already lost and you, you can't sit there and run them through plagiarism checkers again and again and again because you poison the well if you run art if you run a paper through a plagiarism checker it's now in the plagiarism checker well that's exactly it i'm like you're creating the very situation that you're trying to avoid yeah. but i also think the entire school would not have implemented some sort of policy like this for these very reasons so all the more problem that this one professor is just doing it presumably unannounced and just to the student's detriment. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, people, institutions, a, a lot of professors in particular that think that they need to gatekeep this because if that student goes out, if they earn a degree and they go out into the real world and totally fall on their face, then they are a failed representative of Texas A&M. So they have to gatekeep the integrity of that. Um, I'm of the mind that if a person cheats and gets away with it, they're going to get caught at some point in their career and it's going to be catastrophic there. Whereas academically, they can refire their engine somewhere else and and do a course correction or they can do a course correction within that university or whatever institution. Hey, I'm really sorry that I did this. I was under some serious stress. I, I'm, I've been a poor student, but I promise I'll dedicate myself to correcting this and I'll speak out it. You know, I'll do whatever flaming hoop jump exercise you want me to do. Um, but this is a tool. It's, out there you're not going to be able to stop it the problem is teaching ethics <laughs> you know make make humanity realize that they can't cheat their way through things you know well and i don't know it's probably more accessible than other things but presumably if there's some percentage of students that cheat or plagiarize i assume that percentage is going to be the same regardless of chat gpt's existence i don't know a lot of people won't think that using chat gpt is cheating so much as it's using a tool so i don't know no, i think that i it mean can... i guess i view it as the same as like if there's a paper or something online and they copy it i don't see that as being any different than say getting content from chat gpt yeah, I think that ChatGPT is a tool that can stoke creative writing. Um, the problem is when it's used wholesale and credit isn't given to ChatGPT, which can invalidate your paper because you're not the one that wrote the paper. So you would have to cite ChatGPT um, 
and I don't think that academia is ready for that type of citation because it's not an, a human authored result arguably it is well, right proxy. and you don't really know what the primary source is right at least not through chat gpt other ais are citing sources at least you can do that i mean it's the ai equivalent of a wikipedia entry you don't use the wikipedia entry itself although some colleges do you follow the primary source okay so this is an interesting discussion. There obviously is a lot more to this as you peel back the layers of the onion. Um, so we'll we'll revisit this. Um, let's hustle on to the next article. So this next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Archaeologists discover ancient Mayan board game, and here's what it can teach modern educators. Uh, I. I have not read anything about this, so it's really going to be interesting um, because it's taking attack on modern educators, whereas it's a, just a Mayan board game. So I'm curious. Uh, games have been played for thousands of years in cultures across the world. That's part of the uh, no shit news for hometown today. Um, Sarah Rye and Carlos Souza over at The Conversation, they have some really great articles. Um, posted on fizz.org so i'm really curious i have not investigated what the conversation is in relation to fizz.org but whenever whenever i see the conversation it's fizz.org anyway it's uh the ball game marker discovered in chichen itza this i think is an old thing but anyway there's a checkerboard game senate Played in Egypt around BCE 3100, the African cup board Mancala has been played BCE 1400, chess originated in India over 1500 years ago, and the strategic game Go, Go <coughs> has been around for 2500 years. Well, the Mayan civilization, which flourished in Central America from BCE 2000 to 1500 AD, had several popular games. These games were thought to have the supernatural power to predict war. They include a cross-shaped board game called Patoli. I might be pronouncing that entirely wrong. And a ball game called Pocketuck, which now I'm interested in both of these because they have cool names. Anyway, recently a stone scoreboard was found by archaeologists in Chichen Itza, Mexico, Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. The Mayan people appeared to have used it to play a ritualistic game with a heavy ball. They got that from that? Is that because of the symbolism that's in there? I mean, they're a big ball. I suppose. Huh. All right. Um, it says here that the game held significant cultural and religious importance for the Mayan civilization. More than a simple recreational activity, it reflected the deep-rooted beliefs and, Maya and values of the Mayan people. For Mayans, games provided a platform for the expression of physical abilities, the establishment of social order, and the connection between the mortal and the divine. It got that from that? I think there's a little bit of... Well, there must have been some interpretation of all the symbols on the marker, because I just see it as being a disc. <laughs> yeah, me too. My voice synthesizer just disconnected, so I'm not sure. You hear me okay, yeah? I do. Okay. I don't sound like Thanos. Because I can't no. let people know what I really sound like. <laughs> okay. So, 
It says here what educators can learn from ancient games, the concept of the magic circle introduced by Dutch historian. Uh, is that just Johan? Johan Hazinga, I guess. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. Hazinga. Um, suggests that during games, players enter a temporary world with its own rules and boundaries. This is exemplified in the Mayan find, which involves rules, suspension of normalcy, and shared experiences. I want to know more. I really want to know more about this now. Anyway, um, this article goes into greater detail, uh, but it says applying the lessons. So if you're really curious about this, look up the Tega project, T-E-G-A which is led uh, or which they led uh, created a toolkit to support the development and customization of inclusive analog games for learning with an emphasis on accessibility. Analog games like tabletop or board games offer a tangible experience, which helps teach abstract concepts, which typically lack clear physical representations and through interactions with game elements, such as cards, dice pieces, student players can grasp abstract ideas like probability strategy more effectively than through digital games or other media that might be a stretch but maybe i'm sure that they've got enough articles to back that up hey and i'm gonna tease that i am prepping for i should say we hometown is prepping for kicking off their own board game it's not actually from uh, Omtown, but um, it is uh, created by Marwat, and uh, we're finalizing the, the details to uh, announce here on Omtown and everywhere we possibly can, because it's going to be a Kickstarter. So tell a friend, please, and get word out. Um, odds on. Well. I can't formally announce it until it's confirmed that we can start it. So uh, give me at least a couple of weeks. I'm hoping to get it done um, and start shipping by the end of summer. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next article. I won't even say the name of it. I will have the article, but not the name of the game. Anyway, this fable inspired hybrid of RPG and farm sim is trying to cram in combat crafting and commerce. That's Mirthwood, calls itself an RPG life sim, but it also has some seemingly deep character traits, farming, crafting, and more. Badridge Games has just reintroduced Mirthwood with a new reveal trailer that showcases farming, fighting, and rather ethereal vocal soundtrack along with plans to launch sometime in 2024. This is over on the Warcrafters channel. Let's rush through this. Lauren Morton um, put this article over in uh, PCGamer.com. It kind of has soft isometric graphics, almost like paper art. You know that like um, where they do paper cutouts and they move the paper cutouts? Yes. It like kind... you see in some picture books, for example. Yeah, or animation, animation style. Yeah, exactly. It looks like it's two-dimensional, but has like just a, just a little twinge of three-dimensionality to it. Um, I like the graphics, but I agree. That is what it looks like. Yeah, it's really interesting because it has a drop shadow. Um, well, they have an announcement trailer. Let me play it. I'll mute it. Oh, it's already muted. 
So, oh yes, oh yes, this this looks like a paper cutout, like a puppeteering kind of interface. Um, but the graphics are really high resolution. Wow, this is actually really interesting. So you're gonna have, I, I can't do it justice. Um, it's basically an overview. It shows that the trailer shows a boat traveling to a new land, it seems. Um, and then somebody running through various seasons. There's a population of a town that looks like it's living. You know, it's not just a couple of you know, stagnating people just standing there. Um, the world looks alive um, and ethereal. It has like fog effects and snow and other things. But yeah, there's definitely combat in this. This looks fun. Um, I believe I've added it. Oh, I have. I've added it to my wish list. So um, I'll be monitoring when this launches. There's no demo. There's no price. There's just a tease date of uh, 2024, which is quite expansive. It says from the looks of it, Mirthwood is really swinging at several genres. You can spot action combat in the form of some dodge rolling and blocking. Its store page mentions not just gardening, but growing crops, rearing animals, upgrading facilities, crafting gear, selling your goods. Damn, this thing might have everything that I want in a game. Huh. I'll add well, it. hopefully it's early 2024. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd love to play this under the you know, idea of being Marowat. I could be this person running the town, dominating the world. Let's move on to the next article. This next article is going to be a fast one because it's battery swapping could finally make charging faster. Uh, then filling up with gas, see how it works. We've talked about this a couple of times before. I believe this is a new company. It's a, a, a startup called Ample. I don't think that's the same company, um, but it looks like their tech is the same. I'm going to go over to the article. Um, I think we've talked about or seen something about Ample before, but maybe not this specific article, of course. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, this is a new article. Um, so Alexa St. John over at businessinsider.com put the article together. And um, it, it basically says, see how Ample's next gen station could charge your EV with a simple automated swap. This is what I've been saying for the last two years. Um, longer um, before um, I made hometown public in uh, 2022. Um, I've been promoting this idea of standardizing battery swapping technology. Luckily, I'm not the only person that's trying to do that because it would never have gotten done. Um, but that's where battery swapping could come into play, speeding up the whole process. Startup called Ample is eager to, it is the same company as I remember the AMP um, because the the current, uh, the, the um, Currency yeah, you commented in on that, I think. Hometown is named Amp. Anyway, is eager to get automakers on board with the idea. It essentially means a driver buys an electric vehicle but subscribes to the battery. That's exactly. That's actually oh, new know. information. I don't remember reading that in previous articles. I agree. 
um, part of why this article was submitted was because it seemed to track so much with what you've been saying should be done. Yeah. In your own garage with a standard plug or maybe at your office, it might take eight hours to charge your car. At faster plugs out in the public, you might be waiting 20 minutes with a level three or maybe an hour or two with level two. Um, So when you buy your car, not only do you have this same battery for the next 10 years, but when it fails, you're out five, 15,000, somewhere between five and $15,000. And that's at current pricing. When the fit hits the shan and there isn't enough lithium or somebody starts getting greedy bastard vibes, those battery prices are going to go up because there isn't enough competition for EV level battery manufacturers you have to go through the ones that are provided for your particular vehicle but we can do away with that by fast swapping somebody can produce a battery that's compatible with a car if we standardize around the number of battery variables then you have you know small medium large extra large batteries and those numbers of batteries are robust enough that you can just swap them out at a swapping station a battery uh, fast swapping station and that's what Ample does. These are uh, renders. I don't think these are um, the in, the actual uh, devices. That one's real. Uh, but basically, you pull into a bay, and there's a device that detects where your car is in the bay, and then decouples your battery. And it it actually positions your car where it needs to be so that the sled that has all of the batteries is properly positioned so that their devices can roll underneath the car, reach up, decouple the battery segments and pull them back into uh, charging and testing facilities and then replace it with a like battery that's been tested, charged and is ready to go. It says Ample's battery swapping used to take 10 minutes. Now it takes five. So we're down to the we're down to charging or replacing the battery faster than filling your tank. Which is one of the current impediments to going EV. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that this is a private um, business that doesn't have stock, but I want in. Yeah, this, this is what makes EVs approachable to the public because we're used to stopping and filling up our tank. What we're not used to is two hours of waiting on the side of the road, charging our cars. I think it's stupid. <laughs> it's just flatly stupid. Let's go on to the next article. Let's get out of here real quick. Like we're fast charging. Um, it, this last one, I won't be able to discuss it. Um, it's infuriating. First U.S. state officially bans TikTok, issues a $10,000 fine, but that's not just a per violation fine. It says per violation. The violation is daily. Yeah. Um, what? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this is in the Smack Talk channel. Last month, lawmakers in Montana voted to approve first of its kind bill to ban TikTok across the state. I think it's ignorant. The final hurdle of that bill was a signature from Montana Governor Greg Gianforte, and he has now officially given the bill his seal of approval. The bill includes a $10,000 fine per violation, though there are major questions on how the ban will be enforced. So let's 
uh, go over to 9to5Mac, Chance Miller is the author. And it says, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, the bill is set to completely ban TikTok across Montana. Effective January 1st, 2024, with this legislation passed, Montana has become the first state in the U.S. to implement a statewide ban, TikTok ban. I don't know how you can hobble citizens this way. Well, I don't understand how you can within a state, but I know we've already talked about that. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Under the bill, ByteDance will be barred from operating in any form or fashion in Montana. Anyone found to be violating the law will be fined $10,000 per violation per day. The fine, however, wouldn't be paid by TikTok users, but by rather by ByteDance itself, good luck collecting. Any app store caught distributing the app after the ban goes into effect would also be charged, including Apple and Google. So they're going after after the source. It's the equivalent of book burning, but it's digital. They're literally stopping the app from being distributed, but only in Montana. And what if I'm not a, a Montanan? What I'm driving through the state. I can't have it exactly. in Montana. Or what if you live in Montana, but you go over the border? What happens then? I, there's so many odd things that are going to come up. Don't you think Apple and Google are going to go after this? Oh, yeah. But that's what they're looking for. I mean, it's all it's just wingnut. Although I do have to admit that the TikTok issue is real because there is a whistleblower that says that ByteDance has access. Well, I should say the Chinese government has access to the user data through a back door. That's what the whistleblower was saying. So if that is legit, then yeah, shut this shit down. But right now there hasn't been any evidence beyond what has been disclosed publicly, which hasn't been verified. And the moment, I, and I don't want to hear, well, you know, two people in the government know. Okay. So I want to know for a fact, you know, not just two people that have suddenly become the de facto gatekeeper of what constitutes back doors to TikTok and really what information is being exfiltrated. See, I don't use TikTok. I have an account, but I don't like using it. I'm starting to question having certain equipment here in hometown, but you know, um, best of breed kind of makes me want to keep it but anyway this is unenforceable and they've given themselves so much lead time for this to go into effect that i think that by the time it rolls around to actually being launched it'll be clawed back out of existence it says even though the right, bill is or received, the federal government has done something by then and so this becomes moot yeah but even then Sideloading software is a thing, you know what? Okay. So I sideload the app into my phone. You can't go after Google because it wasn't Google that afforded me the ability to do that. If I jailbreak my device and, 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 and go to a third party app store and install it on my iOS phone or yeah, you know, my Apple phone, then 
or device. Um, you can't go after Apple for that. No, and, but you could go after that other store. But well, you don't have to go through a store. I can sideload locally. I all I need is the APT, the, the actual oh, file. Wow. Um, anyway, you know, or whatever it is that I'm using to sideload. Anyway, you'd have to go after the people that develop the software to jailbreak. I mean, this is a nightmare um, of it's like I say to people who want to get something patented or or trademarked or whatever. The money that you're putting into your pen, you better have extra to actually be litigious about it because enforcement is key, not just getting it. Oh, great. You have a patent, but try and stop some company. That's a different animal. You know, Stern looks and a letter uh, from an attorney doesn't mean much. If they've got more money, they're like, well, I did it a different way. Anyway, Montana said that it wants to be a leader when it comes to cracking down on the availability of TikTok in the United States. For example, the state's attorney general has described TikTok as a tool used by the Chinese government to spy on man Montanans. Yeah. Oh, it's spying on everybody. At any rate, that's it, folks. Did you want to add anything? No, I mean, we've talked on this topic before. I don't see this being enforceable at all. I I agree with the underlying security and privacy concerns if they're founded on real information. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Um, I don't like the idea of being spied on by anybody, you know, foreign or domestic. But hey, if you listen to the right CEO, privacy is dead. That's what I was thinking. I mean, I guess if it was targeting the user, kind of begs the question of how would they know, right? Because they're basically surveilling the users. But I mean, aren't they in a sense, if they're surveilling the stores, don't they know that? 10 people in Montana or whatever are downloading it, which then kind of, aren't they conducting the very activities that they're supposedly concerned about? I don't know how they're, yeah. I mean, I don't know how they're monitoring this. I don't either. Some random Montanan is going to report them because they found TikTok in the app store. It's yeah, basically going to work. Are you going to have like a non Montana app store? I mean, yeah, like right now, I can distribute an app to specific countries. Oh, okay. So the fidelity here is now I'm going to have to choose which states I allow my app to be seen in. How dystopian, anti-American, anti-United uh, States it is to keep on putting up these arbitrary barriers if society wants this, th these are the same people that are arguing that society citizens want it this way, right? For other things, but right. here citizens really want TikTok. They really want TikTok. Right. I mean, it, some of them want it for entertainment, but some people actually make a living on TikTok. Yeah. So I'm sure they're going to be up in arms if they're for instance, a content creator and they're suddenly shut down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
But the, but the leadership here are the same people that are fighting for citizen freedoms. Just not this one. Screw you. And that's because you're not a team player. You're not being American because you're not, you know, following our lead in trying to stop Montanans from being surveilled by Chinese government versus the United States government and corporations. Yeah, I'm picking a bigger fight than it's not really a fight. I'm screaming into the dark void that is public policy. Hey, so um, that's it for tonight, folks. We've gone through 11 articles. They're all available over at hometown.showbot.tv. You can vote for your favorite if you are so inclined. Be sure to follow us here on Twitch. Like and subscribe and follow us. Ring the bell and do all the doohickeys over on YouTube. Um, that's the long-term storage. I'm actually correcting a mistake. I'm trying to find where some missing episodes are in the... There's a, so all of these videos get ported over to YouTube and on YouTube, you can actually subscribe to it as a podcast from YouTube, but you can also get the podcast over in, uh, Apple podcasts and Spotify and pretty much everywhere that there is a platform for podcasts because it gets distributed everywhere. Um, so go over there and find all, all, all of the past episodes as well. Um, but I'm trying to find November and December. There's a shortage in these two months because I should be at closer to 500. Like I'm just like a few episodes away, but I went and looked that actually count and I can't find like 10 episodes. Um, which is throwing off me being able to say that I'm at 500. So, or that we are now at 500 because the AI came online later. At any rate, um, that is it for the hometown daily news show. We always bring it back to the very front for the, um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I hate the news <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, Republicans defend sending George Santos to ethics committee. Really? Right. I misread that when I first read it, but. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Um, so, uh, what a else? refreshing headline. Yeah. Micron may get 1.5 billion from Japan to make advanced chips. Micron is a hey, that's interesting. massive chip maker. Yeah, aren't they a competitor to AMD? Um, various companies. Micron makes uh, memory chips. Um, most notably and other things, but let's see. Is there anything interesting? We are platform? selling a product we hope gets discontinued, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's funny. I wonder. Yeah, well, let's save that for tomorrow. We'll include that in tomorrow's. Um, 
Let's see here. YouTube 2023 up front. Platform to launch unskippable 30-second ads on TVs. Roger Goodell on, on hand to tout NFL Sunday ticket pact. That's over at Variety. What else? The Mass Singer finale reveals identities of Medusa and Macaw. Here's who won season nine. I do not watch that show, but maybe you do out there in hometown. I don't know. I think that's it for tonight. Let's I just was going to say, I've seen a lot of Zelda um, headlines because they crossed some ridiculous number of sales in the last three days. At something like 10 million or something like that? Is that it? I think it's higher than that. Or 100 million? I don't remember. Anyway. But that's it. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there in pink and blue, again for day two, is the AI. You want to say goodnight, AI? Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's true. Bye. I love you all.